Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Themer, today with Jerwin and the artist formerly known as Big Money Mike. Welcome to the show, No Money Mike. Mike, welcome. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's a little bit different not being called Big Money Mike anymore. And I completely forgot that, you know, if you finished last in the league, I was, I was so confused. Why is my name being changed? And then I remembered that's the new, well, not the new, but that is the rule. You sucked. Well, you're going to have a sucky name. So no money, Mike, for only a year. Yeah, well, I think for as a fantasy league, we probably had a relatively tame last place punishment, but that's what it is. I think it's fun for everybody. So, you know, at least fan tracks will let us do it. Wasn't there the one time or the, you know, I, I've been here for a while, but where you had to eat a certain amount of things or something like that? That wasn't, but we, I think we had advocated for that and it just didn't get any traction. Oh, got it. Got it. Cool. But we have a very uh, cool itinerary today. So let's, let's jump right in. We're going to start with our recap. So I'm just going to ask general takeaways from week one. Um, Jared, when we can start with you. Uh, fantasy baseball is pain. That is, that is what that is. Um, uh, you know, I I guess I knew on some level going into the year that the harder you try, the harder it hurts when things go wrong. But yeah, really ran into that this past week. And uh, justly, I, I did not expect to have like a, a hit piece video made of my team. But JC got me good. I got to admit, it stung. It really stings. But... You know, we're we're checking, we're getting a, a vibe check this week at at Team Positivity, and we'll we'll see how we respond. But uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of tumultuousness, I guess, in in the first week. I expected better of my team, Jake. I'm sure you did as well for yours. Um, and a, a couple couple teams that uh, looked a lot better than we thought. JC and and Jordan. I would I would count in that. Um, yeah, I mean, fantasy is a very strange place to be, and uh, very. We'll be interested to see what uh, trends continue and who who just got off to a hot start and like falls away and stuff like that. Mike, any takeaways from from you from week one? Honestly, I have to agree. It is painful as we're speaking. As I was driving in the car, found out that Brandon Woodruff's on the 15-day IL following O'Neill Cruz being out. My biggest takeaway also, though, O'Neill Cruz, silent plug to my work, Athletic Republic Pittsburgh, needs to come over so I can train him how to fucking slide. Excuse my language. But that's my it's biggest okay, takeaway. okay. We have the explicit tag. Huh? It's okay. We have the explicit tag. Oh, great. Just put the beep right in there. But yeah, that's no, probably too much work it, for Eddie. It is, yeah. I definitely agree that it's fantasy. We're gonna have weeks that are not good, really good. But take it for what it is. It's still very early in the season. But I would say my biggest takeaway: Nate's gonna love this. Scott's team's really good. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I I agree. The fact that the uh, the O'Neill Cruz slide it, it did look very reminiscent of like Gregory Polanco, where it's like the the thing in front of the like the inflatable in front of the car dealership, where like just the limbs are just going everywhere. It was a very awkward looking slide. But uh, my takeaway was that we on the podcast are don't know anything because the teams that uh, we didn't like or we gave bad draft grades to generally had hot starts. Um, I think, Jared, when you mentioned a couple, uh, JC in particular, uh, Mike, your team too, we didn't, we did not grade very favorably, but you were uh, in the top half of the league scoring. Um, and then some of the, the teams we did like kind of base planted. So that was my takeaway. We are dummies over here. Uh, but let's move into our very first trade segment. And unsurprisingly, Mike, you were involved in this one. Um, hmm. Gave up Jackson. Going to butcher the last name. Is it is it Chirio? Is that how you pronounce it? Jackson Chirio. 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 Chirio? Okay. Bryce. Yeah. Jerwin, uh, we'll start with you since, Mike, you were involved with the trade. Um, any thoughts on this one? I missed you cut out for a second, and I missed the other player, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Who is yeah. it? Was Chirio and Bryce Terang? Yeah, he cut out, but it was uh, Bryce Terang. Okay. Um, I guess mixed feelings about it. If I'm being honest, I, I said on on the podcast before. I think Chirio isn't supposed to be up this year i guess maybe there's a chance i haven't really looked into it much since the trade either so forgive me if i'm just completely wrong on him and he's you know guaranteed to be a a a great player uh at the end of the year this season um bryce terang is I, i think a good ad from waivers but i don't know about trading for him but then again i don't think chirio's much to give up i think if i had to had to i I would probably say like a wash both ways it it could pay off long term for either team but i i just have we really don't know for sure yeah so my i guess my main thought on this is nate put in the group chat uh was it the gif of somebody that was saying He's coming in with regards to Jackson Chirio. But uh, my, he's 19, and my thoughts are he's coming like in the same way that the, the White Walkers were coming on Game of Thrones, where it took them just forever to get here. <laughs> um, he He's not, like I said, he's 19. He got, he's got two prospects in front of him, at least in front of him, um, in South Relic and uh, Joey, is it Weimer? I don't know. That, you know who I'm talking about. This. He's got two of them, but he's got two people in front of him, too. So he's at best third in line. Um, I get that he is he's regarded as a gen as a, a generational type talent, but I I don't think there is any shot he's up this year. And um, I I guess maybe he's up next year, but I don't think it's going to be one of those situations where he's up at the beginning of the year. I think maybe he's like a midseason guy, um, and that's kind of best case scenario because you know there's still plenty of time. He's still very young. He has not tackled the upper level of the minors yet. There's still plenty of time for him to uh, need extra seasoning. Um, I guess this is a relatively small price to pay for, for that with with Terang. Um, 
I mean, I think Turing's good, and, and he's definitely going to have the more immediate impact now uh, than Chirio is. But um, I guess I, I kind of view it as a wash because there's not any you're you're taking a chance that Chirio will be an impact player, or that you or that somebody else views him like that, and you can trade him. Um, and you're kind of just, you're giving up uh, another another prospect, but it's a small sample size, and I don't think a lot of us you rang as a major impact player coming into this year, although he certainly looks the part right now. Uh, Mike, why don't you walk us through this from your from your end? I mean, yeah, pretty much, Jeremy. You you almost nailed it right on the head. You know, Terang's a good waiver pickup, but he is a waiver pickup, but I made this trade specifically because I had lost O'Neill Cruz and I'm, you know, it's going to be a while until he comes back. You know, they keep saying eight to 12 weeks. Now it's four months. And at that note, I didn't, I don't really have a clear cut plug and play shortstop. I mean, Mateo has been pretty well. He's been doing, you know, he's another waiver uh, pickup as well though. CJ Abrams. I'm still kind of like high on him. It's a very long season. I, I'm just a fan of him. But again, you know, he's not performing all too well. So I traded away my last round of the pick for a really good, for a really solid waiver pickup. And now that he just got second base eligibility, now he's got that both positional eligibility. So, but take it for what it is. I agree with both of you. It is kind of a wash trade. Churio is a, like you mentioned, Jake, a potential generational talent. Does he play this year? He might have a few games. Next year, I can see him getting into that mold. And if Nate's really patient or if he does move him, somebody could fall in the laps of a decent keeper, like, say, Scott right now with Julio Rodriguez. So we'll see how it plays out. You know, this might be a trade where you look back uh, end the season next year. How did it age well? Could age not good, but it can also age like fine wine. And Churio does become more of the prospect he's, I guess, sought after for. Very curious. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see. I mean, you mentioned Julio Rodriguez, but I think we could also maybe use Bronco is kind of a cautionary tale there because I, he worked, worked at the very end of his keeper eligibility and just now um, he's kind of hoping he's he's breaking out now, but he's at the very end of his keeper eligibility. And I think that's sort of, I don't, I don't want to say like I see it happening, but I, I could definitely, if, if between like the whole scenario and that scenario where Franco just wasn't up, I, mm-hmm. I think. I think the that is more likely than him being the next Julio Rodriguez. If I'm, I just use use Julio Rodriguez as an example. Wander Franco's definitely a better example, 100%. And if if any team takes that gamble on him and he does become a Franco, well, you just got a blessing. So, but that's a lot of what ifs. For sure, for sure. All right, let's move into our main segment. This is basically going to be just week, well, I guess matchup one overreaction since it's been about a week and a half. But here's how it's going to work. I'm going to read off to you guys um, an overreaction for one for each team. Um, this will be positive or negative. I think we 
perspective. Um, you're basically going to tell me whether it's, whether it's an overreaction or not. So let's start with our, our our man in first place. And this is the official Dustin May breakout we've been waiting for. Dustin May is averaging 21.5 points per game. He has an 069 ERA, 0.615 whip, and a 9-3 to strikeout-to-walk ratio through two starts. Uh, he's looked very good. Mike, we'll let you start. Is this an overreaction? I would say it's not because he's going to get plenty of opportunity. I mean, Ryan Pepiot's out for however long that's going to be. Bueller's out for the year. And, I mean, you just look at it. He's not getting a lot of strikeouts, but he's barely walking anybody, and he's barely letting people hit. And the Dodgers have a great system with their pitchers, whether it's through their farm or whether it's through a signing. And we're already we already just saw two outings where he's looked really good. As long as he stays healthy, yeah. I mean, I don't I, I would be as bold to say that he could finish as a top fifteen pitcher in this league. Darwin. Yeah, I I'm going to say yes and no. I think I think he's probably... That's completely against the rules. I've got to cut you off. you got to pick one. you got to pick one, bro. Come on. All right. I'll say this isn't an overreaction overall. I, I think Dustin May is breaking out, and I, I think there are... there are good signs to support that. I will say, however, there are also signs that make me think, you know, I mean, he's off to an insanely hot start. We know it's not sustainable at the level that he is right now. But uh, there are a couple things like his, his swinging strike rate and CSW are both down to start the year despite the hot start. And he has a really he has a really high uh, hard contact rate right now, as well as a low ground ball rate. But his home run to fly ball ratio is currently zero, and that's going to change. Like you're not going to give up zero home runs all season, especially with the fact that he's getting hit hard and players are putting the ball in the air against him i also noticed like he's throwing his four seamer 40 percent of the time and his four seamer is just not his best pitch like he's he should be throwing he's one of the few pitchers i think who should be throwing their slider that's a or sorry uh his sinker um because that's a really good pitch for him and i i don't know why like his four seamer isn't even performing that great and he's throwing it forty percent of the time. So that was just a little weird thing. I think he's, I, I think he's likely to be good this year. We've seen him. We kind of saw a mini breakout before he got Tommy John, and now he's back and performing well. I think that's real, but uh, I think there are definitely signs that he could he could regress. Certainly from from the heights that he's at right now. Jaron, real quick, if you don't mind me asking, um, you know, you mentioned the injury. I think right now he's he's just feeling himself again. 
feeling how it's used to pitching against major leaguers. His slider is his best pitch. I, I, I feel like the four-seamer is just something he's comfortable with. And I think coming off an injury, you go back to what's comfort, right? I think as, as long as he stays healthy, that slider, he's going to start having that and display, uh, displaying that more and more often. So if that's his best pitch, he starts to get more comfortable. That's where I, I me personally, I think he can have that potential to be a top 15 guy. Top 20 at the latest. But again, you know, we'll see. I mean, it's exciting to watch. Yeah, I can absolutely see it. I'm just I'm just not fully in on on that upside just yet. All right, so that brings us to Nick Lee and the overreaction here. Max Scherzer is the worst of Nick's starting pitchers. Now, this one lost a little bit of zing because Scherzer had a good start after we decided this was going to be the overreaction. But I think it's still worth talking about. Uh, He got hit hard over his first two starts. He gave up eight earned runs and four home runs in only 11 innings. Both starts came against bad offenses, um, and the second of which he only had two strikeouts. Uh, His third start was better, but he still walked multiple batters and was very inefficient. Uh, It took him nearly 100 pitches to get through five innings. Is this an overreaction? I did not get a chance to look super deep at the numbers and see what I really think of Max Scherzer. The site I used lost all of his data, which makes me sad. But um, I'm going to say this is an overreaction. It It's Max Scherzer. And I, I don't know. I mean, even taking out his last start, uh, looking at uh, Nick Lee's team. I don't know that Scherzer, like some of his other pitchers are struggling too. So um, it could very well be that Scherzer has a down year, but Zach Wheeler is also having a down year. Logan Gilbert's not, not off to a hot start. So just taking, taking the reaction at face value, Scherzer's the worst starting pitcher. Even if Scherzer continues to struggle, it would have to be true that everyone else would have to pick it back up and and be better than Scherzer the rest of the year. So I'm going to say it's an overreaction. I don't I don't know that he's I don't think he's going to be the worst on that pitching staff, and I don't think he's going to be this bad anyways moving forward. Mike, yeah, I think this is also an overreaction. I I would like I mean Scherzer's not striking out batters the way that he's used to or has done. And then, you know, in terms of the rest of his pitching staff, Pablo Lopez looks really good right now. Freddie Peralta looks really good right now. Zach Wheeler's kind of down. But let's take it for how it is. It's still extremely early. And Max Scherzer is just better than Freddie Peralta and Pablo Lopez. And I think he's going to be better in the end of the season. So, again, I would like to see more strikeouts because that's his craft. But it's only his third outing, and he looked pretty good against San Diego. He only The strikeouts, again, weren't there. I think he only had six strikeouts in five innings. But he only allowed one hit. 
against a very potent Padres team. So, yeah, I think it's an overreaction. Could it be? Could it be a sign for decline? Potentially, but how far is that decline? Are we talking him being a top three pitcher all the way to a bottom fifty? No, I don't think he's slipped past the top ten pitcher at all. That takes us to JC's team, and the overreaction here: JC's pitching staff will be the league's best behind breakouts from Nick Lodolo and Joe Ryan. Lodolo and Ryan scored 44 and 43 points respectively across the first matchup. And JC's pitching staff currently ranks first in our league after scoring a league high 228.5 points during the first matchup period. Mike, is this an overreaction? I believe that it is. Nick Ludello's looked very well. I am a big Joe Ryan fan. But I, when I look at Nate's pitching staff, and I know Sandy just got smoked for a minus 18, that's going to happen to every ace pitcher, especially when you're a top guy. Hopefully it doesn't happen often, but if you, when you look at Nate's pitching staff, Aaron Nola, who him himself has struggled, but again, I, I, I'm like going back to it's so early in the year and we're going to see like look at Seth Lugo on my team and I'm not trying to like blow my team up hence you Jerry Jerilyn. but look at Seth Lugo looks really good uh, how much faith do I have I, I, I don't know but that's like my counter argument or excuse me like my caveat to JC's team let's let's see more outings and then go from there. Nate has legit two, maybe even three Cy Young candidates and Sandy, Strider, and Aaron Nola. Plus, it's got Nasty Nestor. So, I don't think it's a massive overreaction because I do like JC's pitching staff as a whole. But if I have two potential Cy Young winners, especially one that can play in the RP, as in Schreider, I'm taking that all day, all day long. Jerwin, is this an overreaction? I'm, you know... I buy the breakouts so far from Nick Lodolo and Joe Ryan, although similar to Dustin May, I think there's some stuff in their profile to where I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if, if they continue to have really good years and continue to perform well. Um, but I will be interested to see if there's a, a considerable amount of regression for both of them to see if some of the stuff that I'm seeing turns out to to be their downfall. Like both of them basically I think are are riding a pitch pitch mix change to greater success. Joe Ryan adding a a, a splitter this season, which is getting a lot of whiffs for him. Nick Lodolo basically abandoning his sinker, which is usually a good sign uh, for a four-seam fastball. 
and that's working really well for him. Uh, but for both of them, Joe Ryan, the POV on his sinker is actually kind of low. So I'm wondering if he's just seeing a lot of success with it because people aren't used to seeing it from him. And once they make the adjustment, it might not be that great of a pitch. Anyways, Lodolo, I think I, I have a little bit more faith in, but his velocity is down to start the year. Uh, even switching to the fastball. So I guess, again, potentially once hitters get used to seeing the four-seamer instead of the sinker out of him, if the diminished velocity is going to come back to to hurt him in the long term. Um, but I think, I think overall, in terms of the reaction, I think I'm kind of convinced by Mike's case here that you know, it's a great start for JC, but there are just other pitching staffs out there that on paper should do better long-term than JC's, even if Nick Lodolo and Joe Ryan continue to have really good seasons. So I'm going to, I'm going to say an overreaction. All right. So let's go to Jordan's team now and the overreaction here. Keepers are overrated. Jordan has another championship caliber team. And it's the same as the old one because he drafted a bunch of the same people. Jordan carried what we thought was the consensus worst keeper pool in, a, in the league, but he has exceeded our expectations by beating the defending champion in week one and having the fourth highest score of the matchup. Mike, is this an overreaction? Are keepers overrated? Mm. That's tough. I don't think they're overrated. He's got two really good ones, Jordan Walker and uh, Senga. That 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 those are two really good keepers, and they're producing at a. He, he, pre- can't, he did not wait. Wait. He he didn't keep either of those guys. Oh, I'm sorry. I I I heard that question wrong. Now, his yes, keeper pull coming into the year was terrible, or what so was I guess keeper? so we thought. It what was, was uh, his keeper pull. Marcus Simeon in the sixth, uh, Alec Manoa in the second, uh, Glaber Torres in the 15th, and Devin Williams in the 11th, I want to say. If that's not right, that's pretty close. Got it. Uh, terrible, no. Good, no. Because I'm factoring in Glaber Torres. But to answer your question again, or the second part of that question, does he have a championship level team yeah i would say so i mean well you know it's so hard to predict who's got a championship level team because you know even though i'm the one owner that's made two trades already they've not been big by any means necessary they've all been small just something to fill something i need not giving up my whole roster or anything like that to fill that need but it's very early and I know that a lot of owners are going to start to get itchy to start making moves, especially because of all the injuries that have been happening. But on paper right now, and looking at his team, yeah, I mean, he's definitely up there. I just mentioned the two guys that I thought, you know, when I read that question, when you sent the itinerary, I guess I mislooked the one part of it. And I thought, 
does he have any keepers? And I'm like, well, he might have two of the best in Jordan Walker and Senga. But then you look through his team even more. Luzardo, I mean, he's always had health issues. Well, not health issues, like injury issues. But he's he's balling out. He's looking phenomenal. Jordan Montgomery, same case. Uh, Devers, I mean, Devers is just putting up numbers, how Devers does. Simeon, he's picked it up lately. Vinny, I've been very high on Vinny P, but I didn't know how to, like, look at him in a certain way because he was so young, he was so fresh and up and coming, and we didn't get a good sample size. And I know he struggled early, but he's been looking much better as of late. And then let's talk about a silent NL potential MVP. Xander Brokert's just been rocking it. So if those players that I all just mentioned keep producing, 100%, I think Jordan's got a good potential championship team. So I think this is largely an overreaction, mostly because keepers still matter, because a huge part of Jordan's success uh, in that first week were two keepers, Gleyber Torres absolutely going off and Jesus Luzardo, who he got in the expansion draft. Uh, so keepers, keepers still matter. Keepers can still be uh, big difference makers. Uh, and, you know, Glaber can turn out to be a much better keeper than we thought at the beginning of the year. That said, a lot of the guys that Jordan drafted are also having a really good start to the season. Uh, so uh, I think to that point, um, it's kind of an overreaction to say that keepers are bad, but maybe not an overreaction to say that Jordan has a really good team. Because it it seems like he had a really good draft, and I you know I preached about keepers already on the podcast. I think they're really important, but drafting is just as, if not more, important. Because uh, you know in 2021 I had a really good keeper pool, and then I had a bad draft, and I didn't get off to a great start that year, and things were looking pretty down. So, uh, props to Jordan for for having a, a really good draft to to kind of make up for a lackluster keeper pool to start the year. Uh, his team looks really good so far. All right, the overreaction for Nate's team. Anthony Volpe isn't ready. Uh, he's struggled mightily out of the gate. He's hitting only 129 with 12 strikeouts. Even more worrisome is the amount of weekly hit fly balls that he's had so far which was a problem for him in the minors. And it looks like at least in the very small sample that has carried over. Jared, when I'm going to toss it back to you, is this an overreaction? Anthony Volpe isn't ready. I'm going to say it's an overreaction, but only, only just, I can, I can definitely understand all of the concerns looking at the data he's, he's getting under the ball and, you know, he's hitting a lot of fly balls that are being caught for outs instead of getting out of the park. You, you already mentioned it. That seems to be clearly the problem. But here's here's the silver lining 
and I don't have any actual data to back this up, but I'm going to I'm going to say it's it's this. Here's the situation with Anthony Volpe. He's used to a lot of minor league pitchers who throw fastballs that are not major league fastballs. And major league fastballs, they call them rising fastballs for a reason that you think they're going to be in one spot and you get under them every time. I think Anthony Volpe is just a small adjustment away from from breaking out. A lot of other stuff in his profile looks just fine. Uh, I think once he once he gets used to that major league fastball that's getting on him and staying up more than he's used to, I, I say this is an overreaction. And Anthony Volpe is is right there, and he'll be ready shortly. Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree, uh, Jeremy, with what you just said, and I'll add to it. He's in the biggest market of sports cities everywhere. And I know that's going to be a lot of pressure for a young kid. You know, I, I'm the kind of guy that, do I know the counting stats? Do I know the analytics? I know a decent amount. I'm not extremely well known with it. But you got to put yourself in that kid's shoes. He's, how old is he? What, 21, 20? And he's under the biggest market of baseball. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, especially him being a, what, a top five prospect for the better part of a few years now. Let him chill and breathe, get comfortable, and that skill set that he knows, he'll be all right. He'll be fine. So, yeah, I think it's an overreaction. Mike, that takes us to your team. Mm -hmm. The overreaction here. Ronald Acuna Jr. is an MVP candidate once again as a top three hitter in our league. Acuna this year is hitting an impressive 340 with a 926 OPS. And I think the most impressive part about that is that he has so far six walks to eight strikeouts, um, which gives him a very high floor to work with. I don't I don't think that's something we look at with his profile a lot of the time, but uh, plate discipline looks to be there. Mike, is this an overreaction that Ronald Acuna Jr. is an MVP candidate? So I think it's overreaction, and I am not going to spend too much time on my player from my team because I know Jaron would like to do that. Just joking with you, bud. Wait, so I'll wait, put. The, wait till we get to my team. I've got a lot to say. <laughs> I will just put the proof to the pudding. I don't know how many of you guys sports gamble or do DraftKings or FanDuel. Ronald Acuna right now on DraftKings. If you go and you look, player awards, NL MVP, Ronald Acuna is the number one right now to win the MVP. He's at plus 400. The next guy is Trey Turner at plus 650. Third guy is plus 800. So there's my answer. So, yes, I think he's an MVP candidate, plus a top three hitter. Jerwin? Yeah, I think he's I think he's back. I think going into this year, a lot of the experts were saying, like, throw the last year out. It doesn't matter. He's, he's going to be fine. 
he he just needed some more time to get get over the injury a bit more. I think that's bearing out so far this year. Like you said, the plate discipline is. I mean, he he hasn't had like terrible plate discipline in the past, but it's just worlds better already this season. If he continues that, that would be phenomenal. Um, and I think it's worth saying he's he's having this impressive start to the year all while having his worst launch angle of his career so far. He's hitting the ball on the ground a lot, uh, which is going for base hits a lot more this year with the shift ban and stuff like that. But uh, if if he gets that launch angle back up and he starts hitting the ball hard and in the air, like sky's the limit for him this season, I think. Before before you go to the next person or the uh, next team, I mean, he's walking a ton and he's getting hits. Acuna, he, he's, he's been very well, very good. Sorry. No, okay. Add that You're in. Fine. Yeah, he's he's definitely been very good. I think that I think we were gonna get this version in what twenty twenty one before he tore his ACL. Kind of looked like he was on this track, so I think he kind of just needed a year to to get back into it. But going from Mike to Mike's arch rival Eddie, and the overreaction here, Chris Sale was a trap. Sale has currently given up more runs than innings pitched. And he has shown very inconsistent velocity over his first two starts. The strikeouts have been there, but that's been about the only positive. He's given up a lot of hits, a lot of hard contact, and a lot of runs. Mike, we're gonna we're gonna start with you. Was Chris Sale a trap? Yeah. Father time caught up to him. And the injuries have caught up to him. And with that combination. It just looks like he could be the next Stephen Strasburg within a year where nobody wants him at all. (laughs) That is very harsh. (laughs) Jerwin, is Chris Sale a trap? I'm actually going to disagree here. I, I agree the concerns are there, but I will remind a lot of people on this podcast, basically everyone on this podcast, people out there in the audience, I think everyone in the league knows some of the aces out there have been struggling so far this year. Uh, Lower velocity for Chris Sale, never a good thing. But like you said, Jake, the strikeouts are still there. The swinging strikes are still there. And Chris Sale uh, has been known to have his velocity fluctuate a little bit here and there throughout his career so the fact that it's been inconsistent so far it's been inconsistent the entire time even when he was an ace so i'm gonna say don't panic he'll he'll get it together i think this is an overreaction yeah but jaron real quick how can you say that he's he's been dealing with injuries for so many years now and if he's inconsistent with what you mentioned velocity yeah yeah i personally in my opinion wouldn't go towards a pitcher that is inconsistent with his velocity and he's been not good at all 
in the start of the year because I don't trust it. I don't trust him having, what, a few good, solid starts in the year. I just don't. I th- I think for me, given that I know his, the the velocity concerns have have been a thing that crop up from time to time with him throughout his career, even when he was an ace, the mm-hmm. injury concern was baked in preseason when we saw in spring training that his velocity was was up and looking good. So his velocity being down a little bit and the poor performance, I don't, I don't think it changes much for me. So from so preseason, me, at least. So let me ask you, like, where did you have him ranked in your pre-draft rankings? Goodness, I had him in like the thirties, I think. So like a top forty pitcher, like SP four to three kind of kind of in that range. So I think I would keep him there, maybe bump him. I haven't looked specifically at like who I who I would move ahead of them him. I'm sure there are some guys, but I'm sure there are some guys who I already had ahead of them that I might move down to. So I uh, I don't think I would move him a ton based on this early stuff. I think I think he's as much of a question mark as he was going into this season um and you know obviously we would have all liked especially if we're eddie we would have liked to see him not be a question mark and have come out the gate uh swinging with the fastball and the slider but that didn't happen but i'm i'm not ready to to fire sale (laughs) no pun intended but yeah Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, it is still kind of early and everything. But me personally, I'm just, I'm out on Chris Sale. I've been out on him since last year. Justifiable. I'm going to keep us moving. We're going to go to league villain Nick Andrews' team. Um, And I took a little bit of a different tone with this one since since he had like this exact situation last year. (laughs) Jose Alvarado will be a top five reliever in this year's Ryan Helsley. And that I mean that by a reliever that you pick up, that he picks up off waivers and is fantastic. Alvarado has been incredibly dominant through the first matchup period. He has 11 strikeouts through four innings while giving up zero runs and one hit. And that means that he struck out 11 of the, his 13 batters faced. I don't have to do the math to tell you that's a lot. Um, Jerwin, I'm going to start with you. Is this an overreaction? Jose Alvarado is this year's Ryan Helsley. Uh, I'm going to say no, not an overreaction. I, I think that bullpen is his for the taking. I don't, I don't see Sir Anthony Dominguez or Craig Kimball giving much resistance on his path to, to be the closer for that team. And I mean, last year. Helsley had was battling with Gallegos all year long for for the closer role, and if Alvarado keeps this up, he's he's gonna be a guy in in no time at all. And I don't I don't see the other guys um, rising to to meet that either. 
Mike? No, I don't think it's uh, an overreaction at all. And I'll just say it plain and clean as daisies right now. 11 strikeouts. And the, these are the appearances that he's closed. 11 strikeouts to one hit. That's pretty dominant. So I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, Nick just has a just must have a knack for like picking up relievers. Alvarado is very good. Uh, but let's go. Let's keep it moving. Let's go to Sam and the overreaction here. Sam did not, in fact, get fleeced in the Tatis for Riley trade last year because he got back an even more valuable keeper in Brian Reynolds and that deal. Reynolds has been the best hitter in baseball in our league over the over the first matchup period and leads the league in home runs. With five, his OPS is currently a ridiculous 1,207 or 1.207. Mike, is this an overreaction since the trade was with you? It's very tough to say. Um, I think at that time when the trade happened, first of all, I don't think when that trade did happen, I don't think it was a fleece. Because everybody that, you know, when I said that I was selling my son, which is Tatis, I had every one of you come to me about him. And then eventually, you know, me and Sam came up with a, with a good deal. Got Austin Riley, who I have on my team now. He's been doing pretty well. Tatis, you, you know, he there's such a big factor towards him. And then I know when Sam traded for him, we made that trade before Tatis was officially suspended from PEDs. So I don't think that was the fleece, but let me backtrack to the second part of that question. Did he get a more valuable keeper? Honestly, to me, it's just a coin flip, and I'm not trying to, like, blow my team up or anything like that. But you can find a lot of outfielders through the waivers, through trading in general. Third base is kind of tough, though, to have. I don't know what round off the top of my head where Brian Reynolds was kept. But there in my personal opinion, is no way Brian Reynolds is going to be able to keep this up at all. Do I still think he's going to be a really good player? Absolutely, I do. I think now the pressure is going to be more on him because of uh, O'Neill Cruz being hurt. I think Austin Riley is just a steady top five, top eight, third base. And I can rely on that. And he's got amazing key value at the same point. But on the caveat, Brian Reynolds has been a beast. He's been the best hitter right now on baseball. But how much of that was the pressure's not on him to be a really good ball player? Because O'Neill Cruz was there. So now I'm very curious to see how he's going to do. And I know baseball is not comparable to football at all 
like say for example uh you know Christian McCaffrey gets hurt and then this next guy steps in and he's a top 10 play to play like he's the immediate waiver wire pickup I know that baseball is not like that but at the same point the pressure I think was off on Brian Reynolds to be a not like just be be a good baseball player and I feel like now he's going to be the guy the guy and staff pitchers ace pitchers they're going to know that pretty quick so I I'm kind of torn on the answer. I don't think Sam got fleeced. But I don't know, like, who got the better value of a keeper. Jeremy? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Mike said. I think, I think overall, for me, I think this saves the trade for Sam. Um, I agree, like, Brian Reynolds is a good player, but he's not going to keep this up. Uh, he's just a really hot bat right now, and he is really hot. Yeah. But <laughs> looking at his, looking at into his data, not a lot has changed except for the fact that he has a 31% barrel rate. And for reference, his good season back in 2021 his barrel rate for the year was 10 percent. so he is just seeing the ball really well and he's getting the barrel to the ball really well so far that's going to come back down it's it's not going to be outrageous like it is right now but even if it does come back down to earth to that like 10 percent mark and he has a season similar to 2021 that's pretty good keep value. Like back then he was he was a pretty high end keeper for our league. And because last year he kind of had a down year, he kind of fell off the radar. But if he gets back to that 2021 caliber play that he had, he's definitely a really good keeper. Um and and definitely saves the trade in my eyes for Sam. Um because I, I I I know at the time it wasn't wasn't too bad of a trade. It just aged poorly for me. So in hindsight, it aged poorly and looked bad. But now in double hindsight, I guess now that Reynolds is looks like he he could have another pretty good season. Uh, I I think we're we're back to even on that one. All right, we're gonna go to Jarwin's team now, and the overreaction here we overlooked. Gunnar Henderson struggles against lefties, and this will be the driver that prevents the breakout. Henderson is hitting only 148 this season with a 639 OPS. Most alarmingly, though, he struck out over 40% of the time. Last season, he hit just 130 against lefties, and this year he has zero hits against left-handed pitchers, albeit in a very small sample. Jerwin, I know that you're itching to talk about your team, so we're going to go to you. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm going to try and keep, keep this one short. I, I think, in the same vein as what I said about Anthony Volpe, Volpe's just a small adjustment away. I think Gunnar Henderson already had that like first taste adjustment. 
I think every rookie goes through like they make the adjustment. They're they're looking good in the majors, and then pitchers adjust back to them. I think that's what we're seeing right now with Gunnar Henderson, um, and I, I think he just has to make that second adjustment to what the pitchers are throwing at him now to to get back on track. I, I think it's really. Like, he has been really bad against lefties over this small sample size to start the year. But I, I think something's wrong more than just matchup problems for him. Like, 40% strikeout rate, but he's also walking 22% of the time or something like that. So, like, 60% of his plate appearances are ending without a ball in play. That's that's just a weird thing to me. I, I think it's just something weird that's gonna gonna pass and we're gonna see the true Gunnar Henderson uh soon enough. So I'm gonna say overreaction, obviously staying positive on my guys. Mike. I do not think it's overreaction. And you mentioned it, Jaron Wynn, the struggles against lefties. I think he could be a platoon guy. Truthfully. Because if you're struggling that much against lefties, and you're a talented prospect like he is, I just... Time will tell and see about Gunnar Henderson. That's all I can say. All right, we're going to get into a really spicy one now. And unfortunately, this is my team. The overreaction here, Corbin Burns sucks. And there's definitely something wrong with him. He is bad. Burns has hardly resembled the ace that we've seen in the past. He currently sits with a 964 ERA and a 171 whip. His walks are up, his strikeouts are down, and he has generally looked not right to start the season. Mike, is this an overreaction? Corbin Burns sucks. I think it's an overreaction. I don't think he sucks. But I will say, like, I, I, I obviously knew I wasn't going to be able to draft him because you you kept him. But I, as I was just diving into my pre-draft rankings and just seeing who's who and where they're available, every time I would look up a database, well, not every time, but let's just call it seven times out of ten, and they would say, who's going to be the best pitcher? Corbin Burns was it. So do I think he sucks? No. But maybe something is up. Maybe something is wrong. I have zero shares of Corbin Burns in any league that I do. So I don't have the counting numbers. So let me ask you this, Jake. Is his... Velo down or what's what's going on? Velocity is down, yes. Well, you know, I again I don't think he sucks, but we could see for a very unusual Corbin Burns season. Jerwin, talk me off the ledge here. Does Corbin Burns suck? 
Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna push you over and like grab your hand at the last second and make you really really worried <laughs> first, and then I'll maybe pull you back. But maybe I don't I don't think the especially the bit about there is something definitely something wrong here that I don't think is an overreaction. There is a problem with his cutter this season, and that is his bread and butter pitch. That's the make it or break it for Corbin Burns. That's the pitch that turned him into an ace and a great keeper in our league. If he loses that long term, he's going to lose not maybe not everything long term, but he's he's not going to be the Corbin Burns we know if he doesn't have his cutter working for him. That said, let me let me pull you back and and save you from the impending doom of the Corbin Burns cliff. The Brewers know how to handle pitchers. Brandon Woodruff, I think last year had his struggles. Uh, they've they've turned Freddie Peralta around. It looks like after the shoulder issues and whatnot, he'll probably make the adjustments necessary. He'll get that cutter back, and he'll he'll be back to his good old self. Uh, down the stretch this season. Uh, I have faith in the Brewers organization to to get their guys right. So definitely something to be worried about right now with Corbin Burns. But I think long-term, he'll, he'll get fixed and he'll be okay. Darren, I like, I like that, how you just said that. Trusting the Brewers organization. I mean, look at uh, Freddie Peralta. He looks amazing right now. He's looking very good. But as of right now in this season, yeah, I, I I would have a little cause of concern for sure. I mean, I do definitely have cause for concern, but we're going to go to the final team, and that's Brendan. The overreaction here, Brendan will not win a game, either head-to-head or median, until Rodon and Musgrove return. Over the extended week, Brendan's pitching staff managed only 32 points total, which is one of the worst outputs for a pitching staff in a matchup period in league history. Uh, Just for reference, both Jeffrey Springs and Sandy Alcantara topped that total in a single start. Uh, His starters combined for negative points. They finished with negative seven and a half. And his staff as a whole gave up 49 runs in 57 and two-thirds innings. Uh, For those who don't want to do the math on that, that is a 7.73 ERA from his starting five. Mike, I'm going to start with you. Is this an overreaction? Will Brendan win a game before those two guys come back? It's not an overreaction. And that's it. All right, Jerwin, thoughts? As much as I would love to just rag on the woes of of my most fearsome rival in the league, credit where credit is due, I think this is an overreaction because I think Brendan is a better manager than that. Plus, I think his offense is really good. 
his offense is playing phenomenally so far to start the year. And I think that's going to provide him a floor high enough for him to at least get a median win with some savvy ads off of waivers, which he is certainly capable of doing. I, I think he will get at least one win, perhaps multiple. He's got an offense to, to keep him afloat and do it. All right, so there you have it. That is our matchup one overreactions. Uh, so we're going to keep it moving here and go to the week three preview. Um, we're going to start with the best matchup. I have Jordan versus Scott. I just want to see which one of these teams. I mean, I, I think we kind of expected Scott to be good, but um, Jordan was a surprise. And I think that this just will be a fun matchup. Mike, who is your best matchup of this week? You know, going into it, I know that it wasn't going to be the highest scoring one, but I knew it was going to be close. Uh, it was going to be between myself and Nick, but we both just got nailed from pitching injuries, so it's not going to be fun at all. Probably both going to lose to the median. So, yeah, I would say definitely Jordan and Scott. I think they these two teams, these two owners have two really good teams, and I'm very curious to see who comes out on top. Jerwin? At, at the risk of continuing the trend of talking about my team too much, I got to pick me and Brendan. It's rivalry week, guys. Come on. This is, this <laughs> is the matchup to watch. Rivalry week with zero trash talk. That's kind of boring. You got to save it for the weekend, you know, when it when it really matters. That's fair. All right, let's fly through these matchup predictions. We're going to start with Eddie versus JC. I picked JC here. Uh, Mike, who'd you take in this one? I also picked JC. Yeah, same here. All right, next one, Mike. Versus League villain Nick Endries. Mike, I picked you. And it had as much to do with you being the guest. But also, uh, I saw that Nick was starting two scrubs at Coors Field. And I didn't like that too much. So I picked you. Any one of you can go. I guess I, did, uh, I didn't specify. I, even though I just lost Woodruff, going into it, of course I'm picking myself. I'm still going to pick myself. Of course I am. I'll, I'll go ahead and make it unanimous. I, I say that Nick continues to skid to the the uh, the back-to-back championship hangover to start the season. All right, let's go to that big rivalry matchup, Brendan versus Jerwin. Jerwin, I picked you. I don't know that I'm going to pick Brendan until he gets like real real pitchers who are like actually going to pitch halfway decent. Jerwin, who'd you pick? I picked myself. Why did I obviously. why did I even ask you? Mike, Got who it. did you pick? <laughs> Jerwin. <laughs> All right. Um our matchup of the week, Jordan versus Scott. I picked Scott here. Um I really liked I really like Scott's team. Um prospects I think are finally gonna pay off. Mike, who'd you take here? Oh, this is a tough one. I think 
I'm going Jordan. Jerwin? Yeah, I think I'm also going to ride with my boy Jordan. He continues the the revenge tour uh, from his his championship loss from last year. Uh, I don't know. He's just got a sneaky good team, and I'm I'm going to ride with him until until the wheels fall off. All right, moving on to Sam versus Nick Lee. I took Nick Lee's team here. I think he quietly has a pretty well-rounded team. And uh, I think that that success is going to continue. Jerwin, who'd you take in this one? Yeah, I also went with Nick Lee. Same reason. He's He's got a pretty pretty solid team, really solid pitching staff, especially if some of the guys who we expect better of kind of get it together more. Mike? I'm going to three-peat and go with Nick Lee. I agree. I, I think he's got a very good team. Honestly. All right. Now that takes us to me versus Nate. Uh, I took Nate here because my pitching staff is awful, led by that bum Corbin Burns. And the uh, the uh, the guy, Lance Lynn, who's been um, not doing so hot. So I took Nate. Hard to have a lot of confidence in my own team after that dreadful performance by the pitching staff in week one. Uh, Mike, who do you have this? Who do you have in this one? I'm I'm actually gonna pick you, man. I think your team. I think Lance Lynn's gonna get back to himself a little bit. So I'm picking you, Jerwin. Yeah, I think I'm also gonna buy in on the bounce back and and take Jake here. Well, I appreciate the confidence, guys. Um, that means a lot. I will have the records for for the podcast hosts and the guests next time. I just didn't get around to it this time. So that's ju- that's just me being kind of, you know, la- a lazy podcast host. But that's going to take us to news and notes. And we only really got one here. And I just this is going to be a little bit of an open discussion um, about the new rules and how they're impacting fantasy. And by new rules, I mean uh, the shift restriction um and the pitch clock uh i guess we i guess we could also throw in the limited pickoffs and bigger bases but these all appear to be uh having the desired effect the time of game is down um singles i saw the amount of singles per game is up um there's generally been like the the batting average on balls in play has increased uh, the stolen bases. I think. I think this is probably the most well-known one. The stolen. The stolen bases are way up. What do we think about all of this? Um, I'll tell you. For one, just watching games, the pitch clock is magnificent. I absolutely love it. Uh, the games are moving at like video game speed, and it's just fantastic. Um, less dead time between pitches. It's great. Um, but I guess so some of the other. I guess the main fantasy takeaway, though, um, that we totally screw up pitching because uh the shift restrictions are very detrimental to guys that get a lot of ground balls and i don't i at least when i was doing my draft prep and within the industries that with looking at industry material i didn't think that was talked about a whole lot and that appears to have a bigger impact across the board Uh, maybe even for us, like we're gonna have to reevaluate what's a good BABIP because 
the ball, the, the average or the batting average on balls in play, that's just going to go up across the board uh, with no shift. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I think just a little bit of a general discussion to close out the podcast on how we think this is going to impact fantasy and then how we feel about these new rules, because I know that um, baseball is a is a game of tradition. So, Jerowin, we'll start with you. So I'll, I'll pick up on on what you mentioned with pitching uh, like. I listened to a lot of the the CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. On there, at least, they were kind of like poo-pooing the the shift changes when it came to whether or not they thought it would affect pitchers. They they basically said, and this was kind of my feeling, like you're going to see hitters who really got hurt by the shift last year, not get hurt by it anymore, and they're going to do really good. But that impact is kind of going to be really spread out when it comes to a pitcher. The way Chris Towers put it was, you know, Joey Gallo or like Corey Seager also had trouble with the shift. Like those guys, every at-bat they have, is as Joey Gallo or Corey Seager. So every time they're up to the plate, they're going to benefit from not having the shift. Ground ball pitchers like Framber Valdez or like one of the four horsemen, uh, like Merrill Kelly, guys like that, they're not facing Joey Gallo or Corey Seager every at-bat. They're facing some guys who didn't get affected by the shift at all a lot of the time uh, more often than not probably so by that logic it shouldn't have affected most starting pitchers especially ground ball guys all that much it should have been pretty distributed there might be a little uptick from left-handed hitters but other than that not much Clearly, that was not the case, and the shift matters a lot, like all the time. I'll be interested to see if that trend continues. Maybe it's like other factors playing into it. Like who knows? Like um, I mentioned, Acuna, he's got a super high batting average, and a lot, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's just putting the ball on the ground and he's just getting on base. I'm wondering if guys like that who have like a lot of speed, he's also like, I, th- I want to say, I think he's second in steals so far this year. I'm wondering if guys like that are kind of, instead of selling out for power, like we've seen in the past, guys are starting to sell out for, uh, for getting on base so that they can try and swipe bags. Cause those are going to be up this year. Um, yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether that, that trend is going to continue or not. It is interesting when you bring that up, because that maybe has to change the calculus some, because I know a lot of it was, you know, you, you can sell out for power because that that's what makes sense. But now that stealing bases is, is, I guess, easier to do than I think we probably thought it was going to be kind of wonder if that makes if that maybe changes the the equation there that is is interesting you bring that up mike do you have any thoughts on the new rules um 
how they're how we've evaluated them or maybe evaluated them not so well me personally i think it's just it's it's good for baseball because jaren uh, jaren you mentioned about acuna well i'm going to talk about potentially the best player in baseball we've ever seen in otani he's a lefty why wouldn't you want to see and I, I i'm saying this as a fan i'm not i'm not going towards fantasy wise but I'm saying this as a fan of baseball. I love baseball, as we all do. Why wouldn't you want to see baseball get up there in terms of maybe the NFL, the NBA? I mean, shoot, I don't even know if MLB is ahead of NHL in terms of the most watched sport. But we're seeing guys like Otani, guys like Acuna that are we know that we're we know that they're very good. Very good baseball players. But maybe the world is so used to seeing Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, all these other guys, and obviously no, they know who Otani is. But let me say it like this. If Otani is a left-handed batter and now he's on the same equal playing ground as righties, we could be seeing the next Michael Jordan in baseball in Otani. Why wouldn't we want to see that as fans? I don't know. I mean, it's a much better game for sure. I I mean, I, yeah. I get frustrated when I see – like when I'm watching my pitcher and he's getting like singled out and there's just a bunch of, you know, weekly hit singles. Like oh, if the shift was there, that would have been an out, but like, right. You're, you're right. Like it's, it is more exciting to see that more guys on base, the stolen bases, there's more action and it's, it is a better product. Opinion. I, I, I hate to use Otani as an example, but I am going to use him as an, as an example in terms of just baseball alone. Because he is the most fascinating, exciting player right now in our league that we love so much. And now that he's on the same playing ground as these guys that are righties, if he starts smashing, and I'm not even just saying because he's on my own team at all. I'm just talking about baseball in period and, and in general. You're going to see a ton of more people watching it. Like my girlfriend, for example, and I'm sorry, I'm so backtracking so bad right now. We were hanging out like two weeks ago. And I have MLB Network, right? And we were just watching baseball games. And even she was, she even knew who Shohei Otani was. And I kept mentioning to her, well, there's a new whole shift thing, explaining it, blah, blah, blah. I said, this guy is going to become literally potentially the next Michael Jordan before your eyes even seen it because of the whole shift change. So I think I think it's it's just really good for baseball and period. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I'm we can wrap here unless Jerwin, I don't know if you have any other thoughts that you would want to share, but um, I guess if you do go go ahead before I <laughs> before I close this out. Um, 
I mean, one of my one of my favorite baseball things. I haven't seen it in forever. I think it's an ESPN thirty for thirty, the uh the three days in October documentary. Just just a beautiful thing to watch. And one of the greatest moments in that whole documentary and that whole series is like the entire stadium waiting to see if the pinch runner is going to be able to steal second base and if they're going to get a hit. It wasn't as Ortiz going to hit the home run, though he did. Uh, it, it was all about that one small but important play. And and if we get back to that, I, I think that, like you guys said, it'll it'll be great for baseball. It's just It's just more exciting when stuff like that can happen more often. Yep. All right. So here's my, here's my final thought. Um, I really hope that they stick with this in the playoffs. Um, I, especially the pitch clock, because as much as it would suck to see an important moment, like if there's a, you know, like a, like a strike because the hitter wasn't ready or a ball because the pitcher didn't, didn't throw it in time. That would suck. But my main thing is you're not growing the game if you're, uh, if your games are all ending after 1130 on weeknights. Um, and I, I will admit I've been called an old man in the past because I go to bed about between 930 and 10 every night. But nobody in their right mind on the East Coast is staying up until 12 o'clock to watch playoff baseball because a lot of people just don't care that much. And you're not going to get the casual fans to stay up that late. So I don't think that they're going to move the games forward because they don't want to mess up the stuff for the West Coast people as much as I would love them to start at like seven instead of eight. So I think the solution there is to just to make the games move faster. Um, and I really hope they stick with that because the I, I know last year there was not a single World Series game that ended before 11.30. And I don't think that you're going to get many new fans or even like the like you need the younger fans to stay up and watch and the younger fans are probably not going to stay up that late on a school night to uh just to see the end of a world series game so i don't think you're really doing yourself many favors with that uh so i, I really do hope that they keep this because um it could do a lot for the for the growth of the game if they're able to uh if they're able to end earlier and have uh, potential new fans be able to actually watch the entire game uh, when they're, you know, this is the most important games of the season and they're, nobody wants to stay up and watch them. So I, I think that that's, that could be big for the, for the growth of the game. I really hope that they, they stick with that. Uh, also because I don't want to go to bed that late on a weeknight, right. but <laughs> Jake, Jake, before you close it out, that was more or less my opinion of the pitch count. These games go on for so long. And as much as we love it, we're not about to spend four or five hours sitting down and watching a game, even though we love it. That was my honest opinion about the pitch count. Or, oh, yeah, absolutely. Excuse me, it's not count clock. My my fault. Yeah, totally agree. I don't think I don't think you're getting many many new fans that way either. So I, I hope they stick with it. Um, I think it'll be good for the growth of the game. And honestly, you're probably not really losing much drama um, at the end of the day, as much as Manny Machado might hate it, like everybody has to adjust at some point. Um, you don't need to adjust your batting gloves for five minutes. Just 
completely unnecessary. But that's all for us this week. Mike, thanks for coming on. Um, sure. I know you're. I know you're on the schedule again, but hopefully by next season you will be back to big money, Mike. Um, all will be right with the world. And uh, yeah, that's all for us this week. Um, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>